Yes, good morning and welcome to the vineyard. It's always such a joy to worship together. And so delighted to be here as we continue this message series using our one-year Bible. And apparently we've run out again, but don't despair. We've ordered 600 more. (laughs) So uh, they'll be here soon and you can pick up your copy. We want everyone to have it as a gift. And uh, we've called this series Transformed by Truth. And today we're going to be looking at a reading from this week. Uh, January 18th, where it's the uh, chapter 38 of Genesis, and it's quite intriguing story. Now, <laughs> actually, I, I like to use the paperback, but when I was in Genesis this week, I whipped out the one-year Bible on my phone uh, from version, and I do the audio. Why? There's so many names I can't pronounce. And so I just listen. That's very helpful. <laughs> um, but not only were there a lot of unpronounceable names this week, you know, there was a lot of tragic events in our reading. There was a lot of violence in our readings. There was sinful behavior, sexual misconduct. I mean, It's pretty dark. And I just want to say, don't get distracted by the dark. Remember, our key text for this whole series is found in Psalm 119, and that's in uh, verse 105, okay? And it's this. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And we need that because there's a lot of darkness out there. You know, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. I I like uh, my son often says, don't ever read the Bible without your Holy Spirit highlighter, which has several meanings. He's actually showing you how light actually breaks through God's word and then highlight how God speaks to you through his word. And all to the end that we could really fall in love with God's word, fall in love with God, live what he's teaching us and be transformed. And that's our goal. And I'll just say, despite all the darkness, you know, all the sin in this account in the world, in our own lives or our family's lives, we don't need to despair. And this is the bottom line. It's God's grand plan is far greater than any of it. His grand plan and his amazing grace are far greater than all sin. Okay? That's the bottom line. That's actually the story of the Bible. God's grand plan and his amazing grace are far greater than any sin. So with that in mind, let's invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, highlight Jesus today to us, will you? He's the light of the world. And I pray whatever darkness is in any of our lives, it would be penetrated today by your amazing presence. Thank you. Thank you for being such a glorious, loving gracious God, and we welcome you to speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've made some very bad choices in my life. The Bible actually has a name for this, sin. Well, recently, my children gave me this project called StoryWorth, and it's for old people like me where you record different stories from your life, like about your grandparents, your parents, your childhood friends, and all incidences throughout your life, and you're preserving it to pass on to your 
children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. It's, it's a great tool. I've had a lot of fun doing it. But recently, I was working on one of these, and it was, talk about some of the stupidest things you've ever done in your life. Okay, oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah. No, not really. Um, so the Holy Spirit brought to mind a really stupid thing. So I'm going to tell you about this. Are you ready? Okay. Back many years ago, 1969, I'm a freshman at the University of Illinois. I live in a dorm called Noble Hall. It's no longer a dorm. I'll tell you why. They put three of us in a room the size of a cracker box. It's no longer a dorm. <laughs> but okay, I'm living there. Now I'm from downstate. I'm kind of naive. And I meet a new friend from Chicago, Alma. And, you know, we're, we're connecting. And she says, hey, Diane. I'm planning a party. Can we use your room for the party? I'm like, I don't know why. They're all tiny, but sure. Okay, so uh, she comes, and I think there are about five or six of us, and we're all squeezed in there. And then all of a sudden, I see Alma, like, stuffing towels under the door. And I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, well, we don't want the smell to get out. I'm like, what smell? Oh, she said, <laughs> I have Marijuana. Now, I was from downstate, but I knew what marijuana was. No, I'd never smoked it. And after that night, never again. <laughs> okay. But what a stupid thing. My dorm room. Folks, I'm on a scholarship at U of I. My parents have sacrificed to get me here. I could have been kicked out to be discovered smoking marijuana in a dorm at the University of Illinois. Okay. I did not. But I want you to know, it was one of the first experiences in my life. I'm not following Jesus at this point, but it's one of the first memorable experiences in my life as I've looked back where I saw God's amazing grace intervene and rescue me. And now that I'm old and white-haired, I can look back and see time after time after time. Now, did I always quickly like realize this is stupid? What am I doing? No, there are plenty of times I didn't and suffered for it. Do you know sin has consequences? Yes, it does. <laughs> Read the Bible. Okay, well, <laughs> no. It was one of the many times that God's grace, you know, his unmerited, his undeserved, his, like, his love for us, his favor, his power, it rescued me. And I... So thankful for that. And really the whole theme of that grace being poured out in my life, it, it has biblical support. We read it this week on January 19th. Proverbs 3.33 says, The Lord opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble is just saying, I'm wrong. I cannot. How stupid am I? <laughs> you know, like, I need you, Lord. Okay. Well, so my question to you is, okay, have you made some bad choices? Well, I see a few heads nodding. Because even if you didn't nod, I have God to back me up. Okay, so <laughs> the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 3, he says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ 
Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. And if we would read on the glorious uh, Bible, we would discover he not only frees us from the penalty of sins, he frees us from the power of sin. You do not have to live as a sinner anymore, okay? (laughs) Okay, getting ahead of myself there. All right. But this is truth. It's truth, actually, that transforms us, right? But, you know, God is always waiting on our cooperation, too. You know, he's often ahead of us, but we can harden our hearts. We can ignore him. No, we cooperate with him. He gives us freedom. But God's grand plan and his amazing grace are far greater than any sin. And this is the story of the Bible, okay? And we're going to see it again today in Genesis 38. Now, because we're reading in the Old Testament, you know, I, I need to give you a few Bible tips. I mean, it's just kind of weird, isn't it? Like there's a lot of stuff happening that we don't understand. So I want to give you a couple of Bible tips, just three, on how to read the Bible for more understanding. Okay, these are just simple, all right, because it can be confusing, particularly the Old Testament. Okay, number one, remember, God is large and in charge, but Satan, the serpent deceiver, is on the loose and will be defeated. Okay, we, we know that, but meanwhile, you see, not everything that happens that's recorded in the scripture is God's will. He's not in control. I know that might ruffle some of your feathers. He is large and in charge, okay? But he gives a ton of freedom, and we have an enemy who is going about. (laughs) And plus, there's a lot of sinful people making a lot of stupid choices, right? But we're not to blame him for everything that goes wrong. No, there's a cosmic battle going on. But I want you to know, in spite of all of that, Nothing's going to stop this grand plan that God has of love and full redemption for his sons and daughters. Nothing's going to stop it. Okay. Now, that's number one. He's large and in charge, but, you know, he's not in control. We still have an enemy. Number two, you need to read all scripture with what we call grace glasses or S-O-N glasses. Okay. Let me explain what that means. Okay. We have a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay? And when we say put on sunglasses, it means you need to read the scripture, particularly the confusing accounts in the Old Testament where God appears very violent and he's doing all kinds of things that cause us to go, what, is that the character of God? Well, thankfully, you know, we're living on the other side under the new covenant and Jesus tells us, if you've seen me, what? You have seen the Father. Hebrews tells us Jesus is the exact imprint of God. So, wow, we have a merciful, gracious, loving, redeeming God. And so we want to put on sunglasses that we read it so we don't get discouraged or confused about the character of God. Okay, and then thirdly, and we'll we'll tease this out more and more, but ask when you're reading, is this scripture written for me or to me? Now, that's that's a difference. I know it's just a preposition, but there's a difference here. You see, all of the scripture is written for us, whether it's the old covenant of law or the new covenant of grace. 
It's all written for us. We can learn all kinds of things. It's not all written to us. So there's a lot of text under the Old Covenant. They're not written to us. We're going to read one today that talks about, under that law, a widow was supposed to marry her dead husband's brother. Okay, I don't know how many widows we have in here, but if, we, if this scripture were written to you, you, you're going to have to marry your dead husband's brother. Now, that would have been pretty bad for me because I didn't really like any of Happy's brothers. Okay? So, but we don't live under that. Okay, but why is that scripture written for us? You want to know why? Because that law protected women. It made sure that they had a support system, that they had an heir, that they had a child to care for them and under their old age. You know what it shows us? God loves women. And I want you to know Jesus personified that in his ministry. Don't, any, don't let anybody tell you any different. God loves women and honors women. Okay, so the, those are our three things, right? And that's gonna help us. God's large and in charge. Put on your sunglasses and be willing to say, is this written just to me or is this for me? You know, is it, get, get our prepositions right. Okay, All right, let's get to Genesis 38. Here we go. So in our daily one-year Bible readings, we've been tracking with the family of Jacob. Now, Jacob has 12 sons and we discover his favorite is Joseph. And this makes his brothers very jealous. The brothers end up sent, selling him into slavery in Egypt. Uh, and so uh, the person who engineered that was one of his brothers named Judah. Now, the story in Genesis 38 today is the story of Judah and his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And it's really, I mean, it's full of some really heavy topics. It's very dysfunctional family. Many of us can relate. Prostitution, I hope none of us can relate. Forbidden birth control, incest, mistreatment of women, deceit, premature death, a problematic pregnancy, all in one chapter of God's word. <laughs> okay, be sure to put on your sunglasses because if you're looking, you're gonna be able to see that right smack dab in the middle of this chapter is none other than the sin bearer, the redeemer, Jesus himself, who clears out all sin and makes us brand new. Okay, so put on your sunglasses for that. Okay, now this is a serious story. You know, if it were a Netflix series, our kids would not be watching it, and you probably shouldn't be watching it either, but. <laughs> nor I. But I wanted to alert you, because there's some trigger points, and I want to take it seriously, but we, anything that makes us uncomfortable, aren't you glad the comforter lives in us? <sighs> so come, Holy Spirit. We're ready to look at Genesis 38. Now, it's a long chapter, so I'm going to summarize the first seven verses. Judah, fourth son of Jacob, marries a Canaanite woman. They had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And in time, Judah arranges for his oldest son, Ur, to marry a woman named Tamar. Now, Ur, the scripture tells us, was not a good dude, and so the Lord killed him off. Then Judah told his second son, Onan, you have to marry your brother's widow and produce an heir. Now, this is known as the Leveret marriage law, 
Okay, leveret marriage. Leveret comes from a Latin word for brother-in-law, and it just stated if a married man died without an heir, his next in line eligible brother was to marry the widow, to father an heir who would receive the dead, older brother's inheritance, carry on the brother's name. Now, that might seem strange in our culture. You know, our culture in the 21st century, we actually have a lot of provision for single moms and single parents, but single moms in particular, we have social services and, you know, financial assistance. That's not the way their culture was set up. Your family was it. And if they didn't care for you, you were left high and dry, okay? So again, uh, this law protected very vulnerable widows. They would have the joy of motherhood. They would have an heir. It was just, again, it... God's provision, and it's God's law, and he honored and loved women. Okay, all right, now I'm going to pick up and read the text. I'm not going to actually read out of here. It's kind of hard. This isn't really like a study Bible, as you've discovered. It's a devotional Bible. So like when you go to look up, like, where's Genesis 38? Oh, wait, what day was that on? That can be confusing. <laughs> so I'm going to read it off my iPad here. But if you want to follow along on your U version, uh, we're... Genesis 38, verse 8. Here we go. Then Judah said to Ur's brother Onan, Go and marry Tamar, as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. But Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. So whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground. This prevented her from having a child who would belong to his brother. But the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother. So the Lord took Onan's life too. Okay, just an aside here. I'm going to give you an illustration. The faith in which I was raised, I was brought before the pastor, and he, was, he said to me, you must never, ever allow your husband to commit the sin of Onan. I had no idea who Onan was. But what I found out, it was my faith, in which I was raised, way of saying no birth control. Like, you practice birth control, you might get picked off by God. I mean, that's kind of serious. Okay, this is not written to us, folks. <laughs> and besides, the, the, the sin wasn't the birth control. The sin was refusing to produce the air. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, the sin is, I'll do it my own way. The sin is pride. Okay, okay, let's go on. Verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, go back to your parents. Home, remain a widow till my son Sheila is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Sheila would also die like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to live in her father's house. Oh, sorry, now Judah is doing things his own way. You see, he owed Tamar his next eligible son. And by not giving that son to her, he was in essence, he was sentencing her to a very shameful, very shameful existence. And he is messing with God's order because he knows he's part of the Abrahamic blessing, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's the son of Jacob. And the covenant blessing is going to be coming down through them for that ultimate serpent crusher, the redeemer. Well, he's taking his own way. So the story continues. Some years pass and Judah's wife dies. 
One day, he decides to participate in a festive time of sheep shearing in a village nearby where his daughter-in-law, Tamar, lives. Tamar finds out about this, and she decides, hmm, he never followed through with that promise of a marriage to the third son uh, to me, so Tamar comes up with a plan. Now, we don't know again. Was her goal to preserve the line of Judah and the covenant blessing? We don't know. Or did she just want a baby, you know, to care for her? Anyway, we're not sure. Well, she changed out of her widow's clothing. She covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. And then she sat beside the road on the way to the party. Now, Judah noticed her, and he thought she was a prostitute because she had covered her face. So he stopped and propositioned her. Let me have sex with you, he said, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. Well, how much will you pay to have sex with me, Tamar asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, Judah promised. But what will you give me to guarantee that you'll send the goat, she asked. Well, what kind of guarantee do you want, he replied. She answered him, leave me your identification seal and its cord and the walking stick you are carrying. Now, this gal has some chutzpah. Oh, yeah. Give me your driver's license, social security card, your favorite credit card, and your passport. Because, you see, these are all very serious identification pieces. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know what? He handed them over. This is one, like, desperate dude. I'm sorry. We won't go there. Okay, so (laughs) Judah gave them to her. He had sex with her, the word tells us. He went on and partied with the sheep shearers. Tamar went back home, took off the veil, put back on her widow's clothing. So after Judah returns home, he asked a friend, hey, would you take that young goat to that woman, uh, you know, that I promised? So his friend says, sure. He heads back to the village and he begins to ask the men who live in the village, hey, where's the shrine prostitute? And they're like, huh? There's no shrine prostitute here. We've never had one. Okay, so Judah's friend returns home and he said, I couldn't find her anywhere. And the men of the village claim they've never had a shrine prostitute. Oh, let her keep the things I gave her, Judah said. I sent the goat, just I agreed, but you couldn't find her. I mean, we'd be the laughing stock of the village if we went back again to look for her. (sighs) Okay, done. Or not. Verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has acted like a prostitute. And now because of this, she's pregnant. Well, bring her out. Let her be burned, Judah demanded. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? Judah recognized them immediately. She is more righteous than I am. Because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Sheila. And Judah never slept with Tamar again. Well, when the time came for Tamar to give birth, she discovered she's carrying twins. Wow. I mean, are they going to live in shame and dishonor? No. We actually discovered that the firstborn twin, Perez, 
The child who is the result of his mother, Tamar, acting as a prostitute, is actually in the direct lineage of Jesus the Messiah, the Redeemer, who will crush the head of Satan and wipe out all sin. (laughs) And that, of course, is recorded for us right here in, in Matthew 1, where we read the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew 1, 1, it says this. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez, that's the firstborn, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. She's the first woman mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. You know... The king himself, who was sin-free, was born from a genealogy of people who sinned. I want to say something today. To those of you who are plagued with genealogies filled with abusers, addicts, perverts, alcoholics, and you thought those generational curses are going to pass on to me, I have very good news for you. Jesus became a curse for you. And he has redeemed you from all generational curses. Why? Because he shed his blood, and now it's his blood that flows through your veins. It's the glorious truth. He's such an amazing redeemer. Well, what is in this story for us? We've already discerned a lot of that. And then specifically, to us, okay? Let me just repeat. God's grand plan is unstoppable. (laughs) And his amazing grace is far greater than anyone's sin. You know, why does the church and religion focus so much on sin instead of our Savior? It doesn't matter if it's your sin your family, sin done by you, sin done to you, nothing's going to stop God's grand plan. (laughs) His grace is so much greater than all of it. And that's the story of the Bible. You know, the the people in this story, all of the deception, the crazy sexual behavior, the failure, the betrayal, God doesn't condone that. (laughs) If If anything, it shows how much we need a Savior, right? But the fact clearly demonstrates his amazing grace. It's just freely given. It's unmerited favor. And over and over, he's faithful. He's faithful to those of us who aren't faithful to him. I mean, you can probably think of many times in your life, although, you know, most, a lot of you are young and you're not white-haired like me where I can look back and go, oh, Lord, your faithfulness. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. And yet, you know, he's always looking for our response, Okay. There's, there's no automatic stuff here. Okay, he's out ahead of us. He's gushing forth grace. But, you know, he's always looking. Are we willing to get off our high horse, our self-righteousness, our pride, humble ourselves, and even as Judah, repent? He said, she is more righteous than I am. Wow, that's a message. <laughs> No, we can choose to do that. 
we can choose to do it over and over and over because <laughs> we need his grace. You know, I like to call uh, a defined grace now as his empowering to do what I can't do. Okay, every day I ask for fresh grace, but he floods me with his empowering to live. To live how? Well, the scripture shows us Jesus became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And put aside all religion and all the disclaimers, you need to know the shed blood of the Son of God makes every one of us completely faultless, blameless, righteous. That's how powerful it is. Absolute miracle of miracles, right? Well, if you don't believe me, let's see what Paul has to say about that. And he has a lot to say. Romans 5, we get there, here we go, 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, he caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. I want you to know over and over, you can experience the triumph of living as a beloved son or daughter. You're no longer a sinner, you're a saint, purchased by the blood of Jesus, righteous in his eyes. I didn't say we don't sin, I said the minute you do or you think about it, get on your knees and you ask, oh God, oh God, oh God. Let me finish telling you one story. I've told this before. If you've heard it, just take a little nap. So um, uh, about 30 years ago, Happy and I were the lead pastors here. And um, we have a wonderful marriage. We're in our 53rd year of marriage. We have a very strong marriage. And back then, it was it was a good marriage, really strong. And um, meanwhile, in our church, probably none of you are here back then, except for about 10 of you, um, there were a lot of messy marriages. And I'm not a counselor, but I was doing a lot of counseling, a lot of prayer. And it was just people, infidelity, anger. And it was messy. And I, one day I just said to him, why don't they get their act together? Why can't they just have a good marriage like we do? It's not a good thing to say that. Okay. But that was my sentiment. Well, a couple days later, maybe 48 hours, we're in a, a gathering with people that we gather with, the church, and suddenly I found I was unbelievably, lustfully attracted to one of the men. I'm telling you, I say this to people who come to me for counsel about adultery. I understand how powerful those feelings are. They're demonic. If, if you give in to them, they'll overtake you. There's, you you like, I didn't care that I was a pastor. I didn't care that I had five children. I didn't care about any of it. I wanted him. It's horrible. And, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? Well, it kept going on, and we were in different settings. And finally, I was like, I got to talk to Hap about this. Very good idea. Talk to your spouse, right? Always bring it to the light. The longest you keep it in the darkness, guess who's there? The enemy. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I say to Hap, I don't know what's going on, hon, but I feel so crazily attracted. Like, I, I even want to have sex with blank. 
No, I'm not telling you his name. Um, and, 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 and Hap, you know, he hears the name and he looks at me and goes, huh, him? He, he's not even cute. <laughs> okay, honey, you are really cute. That's not the issue. <laughs> well, after talking to Hap, I knew I needed to talk to God. And I, I, I was confused. You know, at first, when you get caught in something, you, you don't necessarily talk to God right away. You know, you're trying to like fix it or, you know, yeah, you know, okay. Fine. Oh God, what's going on? What's going on? Finally, he's like, you want to know what's going on? I said, yeah. He goes, well, you know, your prideful attitude, your self-righteous judgment of other people. Yeah. He goes, I want you to know I lifted my grace off your marriage. And that's what happens. He said, don't you ever again think it's by your, you know, ability that you do anything. Let the grace of God. That's a message no matter what it is. And, and it did. It, <laughs> the, the lust disappeared and the grace flooded in. Folks, we have a gracious, gracious Redeemer. And I want you to know God's plan and his amazing grace are far greater than any sin. And we're going to celebrate that today. So, Father, we thank you. And we welcome your presence as we get ready to just worship you and sing of your amazing grace. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.